So, um, <clears throat> we now embark on the, on the detail, having a bit of an overview last week, a bit of context, which I think is really important. It's kind of gratifying that um, several people came to me afterwards and um, commented, also filling in some gaps that I'd missed, which is excellent. So it shows um, that people are listening and engaged, which is uh, really encouraging. So thank you for, for that. Um, our objective here, it's, a, it's quite a, a load, isn't it, for one person to prepare this. It's also a, a load for you lot to listen to one person for four weeks consecutively. But the idea is that we get some continuity with the theme. And I, I just um, encourage you to see it as that. This is a kind of episode in a series. Um, as Gid indicated, uh, we're going to kind of deviate from the general plan in September because we're so busy with other things on uh, Sunday afternoons and evenings. So we will only have one discussion session on Philippians and that will be on the 27th in the hall. So that will be after we've um, had the fourth uh, session on Philippians. You will see on your sheet that the questions are already prepared, but there's no way we're going to be able to go through all those questions in one session. Um, so what I would do is encourage us to take notes and um, particularly questions that we feel would be uh, good for us to discuss together. Whether they're already on the sheet or not, is, it doesn't really matter. Let's not lose sight of the fact that we're trying to, in this process, come to grips with some really solid Bible teaching. And even what I'll say today, by some um, Christian organisations, is a bit controversial. So what I would encourage is for you to really look out for things that um, you either appreciate and celebrate, which is great, and we can mention those too in our discussion. But if there's something that you're not quite convinced of, then I would take a note of that. And the purpose of our discussion is to really explore these things and uh, investigate the truth behind them and make them our own. So I'd kind of encourage you to be listening with that kind of orientation, challenging what's being said um, with the view to ultimately each making it our own. Went backwards. So we have the Apostle Paul um, under house arrest in Rome. Um, he's penning a personal note, personal in the sense that it's a uh, it's about intimate details of people that he knows, albeit collectively to the Church of God in Philippi. It's about 10 years since he visited them. Sorry, it's about 10 years since the church was established when he first met these people. Um, it's probably about five years since he last visited them, and his last visit was his third visit. Just kind of went through that detail last week. Um, he's accompanied by Timothy, um, maybe Timothy was there as a scribe, not quite sure about that, um, but certainly the letter is introduced from Paul and Timothy, and we'll, we'll read the first chapter in a second. Um, he's also got Epaphroditus with him, and I would suggest that it's Epaphroditus's visit, bearing greetings, love, and um, probably financial support from the fairly wealthy church in Philippi for uh, Epaphroditus has visited uh, Paul with this, um, these tokens of love. 
Um, Epaphroditus has had a major serious illness, which the Philippian people are aware of. He's thankfully recovered and is about to return. And Paul says, I'll give you a letter to take back with you. So that's the precise context of, um, of where we start. I did say that I'd put a map up because I neglected to do that last week, just so you get a sense of um, where Philippi actually is. It's on the Adriatic Sea coast. Um, and um, you can see there it's on the coast by not too far from uh, Thessalonica. It's in present day uh, Greece. And it's at the time it's described as one of the major cities in Macedonia. And that apparently is, is uh, how it looks today. Don't you just want to go there? Um, so, enough said. So we're on um, chapter one um, in our little breakdown of the discussion. Uh, just to highlight a few points uh, which we will um, retouch through the course of the discussion. But the title is The Gospel. The best news ever. Um, we have a, a key message. God wants the gospel to be very prominent in my life and in the interests and activity of a church of God. It's kind of an attempt to try and capture what I think chapter one is really about. It's the importance of the gospel from God's perspective and therefore how important it should be in my life and also in the lives of in the life of the church that I belong to. We have a, a key verse, which is verse 21. You can look out for the way that gets positioned in the, in the text. And it's Paul saying, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we'll try and link as to why that is a, a relevant statement for Paul to be making when his pitch is predominantly dominated by comments around the gospel. Um, okay, I think that's probably as much as I wanted to say by way of introduction there. Let's go into um, reading chapter 1. We'll read the whole chapter. So Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in, the church, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. not really going to comment any more on those few verses except to say, notice you get a little bit of structure showing up in terms of how the church was organised, which we're very familiar with because that's how we're organised too, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. 
to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace God and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been, been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. One of the things that we were saying, and, and hopefully we've all done this by now, but if we haven't, I'd encourage us to, is to read Philippians in one sitting. And um, the, the introductory chapter, um, it still reads like a letter. Um, and that's why I think reading it in one sitting and imagining the Church of God in Philippi listening to it in one sitting as it was read to them together, I'd like to think that that's the way they received it. Um, it really is um, a kind of solid, single message with lots of different aspects to it. Um, it's interesting that in Paul's greetings, one of the major uh, subjects that he focuses on is the gospel and that's really the, the core of what we're going to be talking about today um, but it's also laced with other things uh, greetings from uh, himself and Timothy you get a real sense of affection from Paul actually not just in chapter one as he's um, reflecting back on his relationships with these people and how they've demonstrated their love since the first since he first met them and since the first was established um, since the church was first established. So he's um, got this real sense of, of affection for the people that he was very instrumental in leading to the Lord 
and establishing as a church. Another key element of what was on his mind was the importance of them knowing that he was praying for them. And not just the fact that he was praying for them, but what specifically it was that he was praying for for them. And these are all kind of um, brought together as part of Paul's introduction. So he's got affection. He's got them very much on his heart and the evidence of that comes out in his prayers. And the one major thing that he has in common with all of these people, and we were kind of celebrating last time the wide variety of different characters that there would have been in the Church of God in Philippi. And we were talking about Lydia and her family, an entrepreneur, wealthy uh, lady. We were talking about the, the jailer, very different character, different background. Um, and also it was brought to my attention that there was there's the, the girl who Paul um, interacted with, who was, um, had a spirit and was able to predict, predict the future. And she was, uh, from Paul's perspective, making a nuisance of herself, um, but making a lot of money for her owners. So he was another character with a load of difficult baggage that she had with her that was part uh, of the church. So Paul is addressing these people that he has a deep knowledge of and affection for. And the common thing that is woven through his introductory words are uh, about the gospel. It's the thing that they share in common. So I'd like us to explore that. And I've kind of put, um, by way of summary, the four areas that I'd like us to touch on in the next 20, 25 minutes or so. Um, I'd like us to frame what the gospel is about. So the gospel is good news. Um, that's kind of a basic definition of it. And it's about all God's purposes for us. It's interesting that um, 2,000 years on, in our world, where we've developed something called a gospel meeting, um, which you don't really hear about in the New Testament. I'm not saying we shouldn't have done that. It's, it's completely appropriate for us to have meetings where we share the gospel with people who don't yet know it or haven't yet accepted it. But the, the downside of that development is that we tend to shrink the message of the gospel into it's how to be saved. And that perspective wasn't in the minds of, the, of Paul or the people of Philippi. There was a much bigger package that was given this label, the gospel. And uh, I'd like us to explore that, uh, referring to some of the expressions that Paul uses. The second point is the, the gospel is exhaustively described in the Bible. You might think, well, you know, what's that about? Well, we will see that um, the gospel in the world we live in has kind of been allowed to evolve and to morph into things that were never there in the first place. And I think it's a, a really good exercise as we're looking at what Paul says about the gospel for us to revisit what it actually is and the fact that we get what it is exclusively from God's word and from no other source. Number three is very practical. It's the gospel is the key to living life to the full. Uh, it's living the life that God intended us to live. And without the gospel, uh, we will fail to meet our full potential. 
And who, who wouldn't want to live up to their full potential? That's really what our individual personal lives are about. So the gospel is the key to us fulfilling our potential. Um, and finally, we, surprisingly, are the vehicle that God has chosen to communicate the message of the gospel to people in, in and around us today. Really important for us to get a, a sense of that responsibility that we have and to what it actually looks like. So let's um, fill in some detail under the gospel is good news and it's uh, about all God's purposes for us. I think we need to recognise that um, there's no real definition in Philippians chapter 1 of what the gospel is. Paul makes reference to it many times and it's kind of a given. Um, and I think we have to broaden the scope of our reference. We keep it in the scriptures, of course, but we broaden the scope of our reference to try and uh, go beyond Philippians 1 to get a broader view of what it actually means. But I've tried to capture it in, in words that, for me, uh, embrace what the gospel is really about. And, of course, these are supported by scripture. So, at its heart is the wonderful news of how sinners can be saved and reconciled to God. That's the, the gospel in a nutshell that is John 3 and 16. Um, so that is very much the starting point. And certainly if we go to Acts 16 as we did last week and we recognise that that was the starting point for the, for the jailer. Um, Sirs, what must I do to be saved was his plea. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved was the answer. So um, that absolutely is at the heart of the gospel that Paul is referring to. But my contention is that um, it was never intended to be limited to that. And to some extent it has become limited. Um, in an individual it starts with li a life-changing decision made by that individual. So we have that very much in the account of the Philippian jailer. We have it um, in the account of, um, of Lydia as well. Uh, in Lydia's case, the Lord, it says the Lord opened up her heart to Paul's message. And um, of course, we know the reaction that that had both from Lydia's perspective and her family and also the jailer and his family. So... Um, the gospel in our own individual lives starts with that. It's a, a life-changing decision made by an individual. Life-changing is kind of a trendy expression. I don't know whether you've noticed it cropping up uh, recently. You hear about people who win the lottery. They came by a life-changing amount of money. Um, and their, their life was transformed as a consequence of it. Um, sadly, you also get um, the expression used um, as a consequence of war or terrorism that the man sustained life-changing injuries. He lost his legs or whatever it might be. And it's very obvious in those contexts that um, something that was life-changing actually demonstrated that it was life-changing because the person's life was never the same again. It had such a dramatic impact. And... Um, make reference now to the key verse 
Paul could say that for me to live is Christ. That was such a dramatic change in Paul's life. Prior to that, he was a, a kind of um, uh, official um, Jewish um, leader, a member of the Sanhedrin. So from a, a synagogue point of view, part of the hierarchy, you have the sense that he was probably an academic as well. So very, very well read in Jewish tradition. Um, and so much so that he had made it his objective, pre-Damascus Road, to annihilate um, Christianity and the churches. That was his life's mission. And we're seeing someone who made a decision that changed his life. And you know, what's the summary of his life now? Well, actually, for me to live is Christ. There is no other reason to live. And as he was grappling with his own situation in prison, and the struggles around him, and his passion to see the Lord, um, to die is gain. But he had this great resolve and trust in, in God and in the Lord Jesus that whatever happened, it didn't really matter. Uh, from his perspective, to live needed to be Christ. So it starts with a life-changing uh, decision made by an individual and the challenge comes to me is I know I made that decision. I know I accepted the Lord Jesus as my saviour. It might be a bit fuzzy in my mind as to when precisely that was but I know for sure that I've accepted him as my saviour. The challenge is to what extent is that a life-changing decision that I made? Um, maybe we'll come back to that in a in a moment. Living, uh, third point here under the gospel is good news. Living the changed life in the here and now with similarly other, with a type of the, with other similarly changed lives, it should say. So, um, as we'll see and as we've read, the gospel that Paul is talking about is not limited to a life-changing decision made by an individual and that individual's life kind of went on on a singular basis, albeit changed. We have a real sense that there is a community going on um, and it's a person who made the decision, accepted the gospel in its initial context. Um, his life changed and now he's aligning himself with other people whose lives have similarly been changed and what we have now is a church. And these are people who are all pulling in the same direction. Very different characters, but all share this thing in common. Then there's, of course, the, the part of the gospel, which is the certain promise of hope beyond the grave. And again, I'd refer to our key verse, verse 21. This is the to die is gain bit. From Paul's perspective, um, a key element of the gospel was that guaranteed security of uh, eternity with his saviour. Um, I guess we often celebrate the first bit. We appreciate the um, salvation that God has made accessible to us, salvation from sin. And we appreciate the, the last bit, the security that we have in the promise of hope beyond the grave. 
I guess the thing that we struggle with a little bit is um, what goes on in between. And you just have a, a sense from the dialogue and the, the words that we get from uh, Philippians 1 that Paul had a real sense of fellowship and sharing with the people in Philippi in that bit that's in between. Um, it's the life that he was talking about. So key um, elements of the gospel. Um, the gospel is exhaustively described in the Bible. I kind of put this in because I think it's a really important thing for us to grasp. And if we don't, um, we can get ourselves into, into all kinds of trouble. Um, in, chapter, in Acts chapter 20, you get a sense that that's another occasion when... Uh, Paul visited the church in Philippi, I mentioned prior to the letter he'd visited them three times. And we won't look, uh, look at it specifically, but I think it's Acts 20 verse 6, you get this expression that he didn't hold back from declaring to them the whole will of God, or another place says the whole um, counsel of God. Think about it, it's the whole will of God. This is God's intentions for all of humankind. <laughs> Um, and Paul is saying that I didn't shrink back from sharing all of that with you. Now that's pretty big. That's not just about um, the wonderful heart of the message, which is accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour. It goes way beyond that, and it's understanding and appreciating what is the whole will of God for us and for all of hum humankind. This is huge. Um, you also have it in Jude as well, where a similar expression is used, except it's given a, a different label, um, and it's called the faith, with a, a capital F. Um, these are things which we need to understand as we think about the gospel, that they are included in the gospel. Um, and let's expand our thinking beyond um, perhaps the restrictions that we've been um, allowed ourselves to fall into um, that the gospel is some kind of limited thing at the front end of the message. Um, the gospel um, reaches all people everywhere. That was my meditation um, when, you, when you read that verse in Mark 1. Uh, and Mark is, is the briefest account when it comes to um, the account of the birth of the Lord Jesus. I just love the expression, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, and, you know, the gospel has extended beyond those time, that time and circumstance. And now we find ourselves um, in Manchester, England, 2015, 2,000 years on, and it's reached us. And it's... Uh, an ongoing experience that we have. It's, uh, it's not about tradition. It doesn't change or evolve with time and culture. Even in my lifetime, I see a real sense of change in, I would say, certainly standards, but also um, how people view acceptable behaviour. 
I was chatting to Dave Webster yesterday. We were at the district oversight yesterday and there was a really positive report back from um, the Lee teaching where his overall subject was Christian marriage, but um, it evolved into a broader topic um, about um, things like same-sex marriages that um, have now been well, the legal in the UK, recently legalised in the US as well. And um, we have a real pressure, I think, in our society to go with that flow. Um, and it's a, it's a very pertinent topic. I have, um, I have a colleague at, at work who's a Christian uh, American guy. I may have mentioned this to you before about him, but we spent some time in the car about a year ago uh, traveling around different customers and we were chewing the cud on all kinds of different subjects. And he said, I have a real difficult dilemma. He said, I'd like to share it with you. He said, I'm not nervous about sharing this with you, but I know I wouldn't be allowed this is an Emerson guy, to share it with pretty much anybody else in the company. I'm thinking, what's that about? And he said, I've been invited to my niece's wedding, which is next week. And um, she's marrying a lady. And she said, he said, my real dilemma is, I know from God's word that that's wrong. Um, and I want to express love and support for the family and the person. But... Um, I also want to make a stand. And he said, in the society we live in, I can't make a stand because I'll be labelled um, as a homophobe or uh, someone who's um, prejudiced. And that is a very real situation in our society. And we might think that we, we you know, are blessed and we don't suffer from persecution and those kind of things, but I have a real sense that it's coming. And bearing in mind, the, the gospel is the whole will of God. And the expectation from the detail in Paul's description of the gospel and the fact that that's what they, he shared in common, common with his friends in the church of Philippi, um, you get a real sense that the, there's a, a danger in having to compromise these things. And I would just say that even in my lifetime, I can see a very rapid evolution in people's thinking as to what is and what isn't um, acceptable. I think it's really important for us to recognize this number two headline that the gospel ex is exhaustively described in the Bible. There's, um, there's maybe a, a sense in which um, people these days say, well, the Bible was in a different time and a different culture. And, you know, you really need to wake up. Our society has matured and changed, and you need to recognise that, um, you know, that is no longer uh, appropriate and relevant. Well, it's core. Um, the scriptures and the teachings in the scriptures that form the gospel are the, um, the whole will of God. And woe betide anyone, whether it's us or anyone else, who would seek to change that and allow it to somehow be weakened or watered down because of certain cultural norms that make it unacceptable. So let's be resolute. Maybe in some people's minds those issues are somewhat um, uh, controversial. 
Um, but let's be resolute in our mind to recognize that we can't select certain parts of the gospel that are, are, are nice and palatable and safe, like salvation uh, by grace through faith. That's really safe ground amongst Christians. Let's not limit ourselves to that, but let's be resolute. And this is the, the pitch that really is, is part of Paul's message. Let's be resolute in not compromising those and always being prepared to go back to the Bible and use that as our benchmark and then be prepared to fight and to articulate it. And we'll come, come to that in a few seconds. So our third point, the gospel is the key to living to the full, the life you were intended to live. Time is rattling ahead. I, um, I was very uh, struck by a comment made by a young Christian at teen camp. He's a guy that um, lives in Newcastle, uh, a student. And we were talking about um, living up to our full potential. And this expression came out, I don't know whether it's his own, but I think it's choice. Um, and I'm going to use it in the context of the gospel and living life to the full. It enables you to be the best possible version of yourself. And there's a lot in that. Uh, we're not being encouraged to compare ourselves with each other and somehow emulate each other. Far from it. We'll see in chapter 2, you know, we're being encouraged to emulate the person of the Lord Jesus. That's the key thing. But the message for me here is that God made me the person I am and the way for me to be the very best possible version of that person, which is who he intended, is to embrace the whole will of God, that being the gospel. Um, I kind of um, wanted to link that with good news. You know, what, one of the things I, I was talking about compartmentalizing the gospel into safe bits and controversial bits and things which we're, we kind of don't really want to be seen to be taking a stand on because it's difficult. Um, for me to be, to, to fulfill my potential, the, the, to live the life that God intended me to live, I have to embrace the whole thing. And by leaving things out, then I kind of fall short of living the full potential. That's good news. We're still talking about a gospel. You know, so often it's, it's uh, perhaps easy to think, well, the, the palatable bits and the things we can naturally celebrate, like being saved, are good news. And we'll, well, the other bits are all about rules. That's not particularly good news. Well, actually it is. It's, uh, it's God's blueprint. He's our maker. Why wouldn't we seek to understand our maker's instructions and follow them? And my contention is that that is us embracing the whole will of God, um, the gospel, the key to living the full life that God intended. And finally, um, we are the vehicle God chooses to use to spread the gospel today. This involves living, preaching and teaching the gospel. I don't know whether we should change our label for ministry meetings to back to gospel meetings because um, there is no distinction if we're ministering on truth about the the house of god if we're ministering on um, truth about 
God's holy standards that he requires amongst Christian behaviour. It's all part of the gospel. And perhaps we should reconsider the way um, we label you know, our events. But certainly, um, the gospel, as Paul indicated in, in the key verse, it's a way of life for me to live is Christ. And the, the challenge to my heart and my life is, um, am I living the gospel? Preaching the gospel can be as in your face as this, someone standing up and, and delivering a pitch. Um, it can be far more subtle than that. It can be about making um, a stand um, just in our personal lives and our interaction and teaching the gospel. My point is that um, there are fundamental doctrines that we hold dearly and they need to be taught. And that's really the burden of, of the leaders of the church who've established you know, this approach to systematic Bible teaching. It's all part of us embracing the gospel, which is the whole will of God, the faith, and both teaching it and receiving teaching it. Defending it um, in the face of many counterfeits. Um, some counterfeit gospels are really very subtle. And I think to discern them, we have to have in our minds the, the whole counsel of God. A counterfeit gospel is one that is selective, that goes through those things and says, well, I'll choose this bit because it kind of fits in with my little community. I'll choose not to go with this bit because it's more difficult, it's maybe a bit controversial, not many people agree with it. Um, for me, that's a counterfeit gospel. It's not just something that's dramatically in opposition to what we, what we teach like another faith would be. It can even be within the Christian faith that there are things that are taken from the, the gospel, the whole counsel of God. It's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You know, going back to my illustration about the same-sex marriage thing, it's so politically incorrect to challenge that and I, and I would say that there is a real need for wisdom because you know, we shouldn't willy-nilly just um, come out with these things, it could be very counterproductive but I would say um, that sometimes you know, even political correctness needs to be parked because uh, it's compromising the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, one of the expressions I saw in, in uh, studying um, some of the words that were in the text is, is gossip the gospel. Um, and that's, you know, having the gospel so prevalent in our lives and in our interaction with each other that it becomes the stuff of our, our daily discussion. Actually, I think the remembrance is a great forum for that. It kind of... Um, is a, a focal point in the week and maybe we should be looking at the remembrance to have an ongoing impact as we would seek to gossip the gospel uh, amongst us. We should be also prepared to engage the opposition and as Paul says, wrestle as one man. This is a, a team thing, it's something that the church should be engaged in. You might feel, oh, Steve, you haven't really gone to the specific verses in Philippians 1. To be honest, I, I found that it's a, it's a great 
introduction to the importance of the gospel. You'll see from some of the questions that were being pointed to investigate some of the expressions that were used. So, for example, what does partnership in the gospel look like? That's in verse 5. Um, being confident of this, that he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion. We've got a great expression in verse 6 around the ongoing impact the gospel has on our lives. You know, it's something that um, I mentioned the whole will of God is a big thing. It's bigger than our capacity to comprehend and therefore it's an ongoing thing. We'll never have it sussed, so it's an ongoing thing for us to um, embrace throughout the course of our lives. Verse 7 talks about defending and confirming the gospel. Defending the gospel when there is in, when there's some opposition around, how, we do, how do we defend it? Well, we refer back to the scripture from whence it came. Um, Paul talked about what was happening to him in verse 12, served to advance the gospel. And he was celebrating the fact that because he was in prison and was doing what he did, um, people who otherwise wouldn't have been reached were reached by it, soldiers and the like. He talked about um, he was put there for the defence of the gospel. You have warfare terminology and perhaps we should be a little more prepared to be aggressive in um, the kind of things that we say and the way we, re we, we react uh, when we hear the gospel being compromised. Verse 25 talks about <coughs> progressing um, joy and faith uh, of the gospel. He talks in 27, verse 27 about um, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And you can see that all of these are kind of interwoven through our key messages that we've said. And then finally, this wrestle as one man, that comes from verse 27. Uh, contend, and that, another way of saying that is, is wrestle as one man for the faith of the gospel. And it's a, a pitch to the community that is the Church of God in Philippi to work together to this end. So if I was to try and summarise the whole thing, and this is, goes back to the sheet that we circulated, God wants the gospel to be very prominent in my life and in the interests and activities of the Church of God. Let's make sure, uh, first of all, we un understand um, what is included in the gospel and then make that um, a prominent, give it a prominent place in our personal lives and in the interests and activities of the Church. And... Let's be challenged, inspired by Paul's statement in the context of his appeal to work together with the gospel for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Shall we pray?